As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, ten, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you a full picture of your business. Finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Vancast for you, coming your way on Legends Night as the Vancouver Canucks take care of the Nashville Predators and Travis Green with a post-game dunk clearly listens to the Vancast. I think that much is now officially clear. Answer is uh, we wrap up a busy and highly successful day for the Vancouver Canucks in the start of what should be a terrific week. If the team on the ice can hold up its end of the bargain, uh, then the past week may be a thing of the past, but... Uh, once again, this organization on the off-ice side of things checked just about every box to put together Legends Night. You could tell from the Canadian anthem, right, and the way that it was sung with that fervor that when you get in a Canadian hockey barn, right, is just the best. It you know, makes the hair on your arms stand up and it sort of prepares you for, for a night of hockey. You know, we are stone-hearted scribes at this point right I, I don't think we get moved by a lot but the canadian anthem being sung by it's my favorite thing about the anthem is that the canadian anthem doubles as a war song right like it, a battle song almost like uh, those northeastern college bands that we saw at the bean pot and it was that kind of night at rogers arena sold out building 
unreal atmosphere. And the Canucks were full value in terms of the show. Obviously, four goals in the first period. And, and you know, their power play was clicking as it did at a rate that doesn't even make sense against the Nashville Predators this year. And, of course, it all culminated with Travis Green outing himself as a loyal hashtag VanCast with J. Patton Drancer listener. He was asked by Brendan Batchelor how cool it is to have Quinn Hughes on the team, considering that he is now tied with Ray Bork for the rookie record of three assist games, uh, having recorded his fourth. You know, it, it, what can you say about his or how? What can you say about having Quinn Hughes on your team? And uh, or See, it was a clunky question in the moment, <laughs> and I'm butchering it now. <laughs> and that's the point we made on the last VanCast was that we try we try against all hope to come up with these questions that he can't elude or evade, and he stepped to the plate. He pointed to the outfield wall, and he absolutely knocked it out of the park. Uh, well, and the punchline, of course, was he's okay. Uh, and we all sort of started laughing, and, and Batch was <laughs> suitably, uh, you know, miffed that he'd... Well, you just know, right? Like, it's not like he's like, oh, man. It's not like Batch is taking his ball and, go and going home. He's just, you know, in that moment, you're just like, ah, damn it. You know, <laughs> you got me. And then, and then... <laughs> Greener adds, that one's for you, Drancer. <laughs> Which, you know, I immediately looked across the room for you and we sort of started losing it. So thanks for listening, Travis. We appreciate it. Uh, the power play, as you said, that was the other thing that you and I both sort of, you know, they scored on their first <laughs> of the night and then they get a second one and they convert there and we just looked and we're shaking our heads because, <laughs> like, outside of Alex, o Alex Ovechkin scoring every night and most nights three times it seems like i'm not sure that there is a statistic in this league this season that is crazier than the vancouver canucks at one point being 10 for 11 on the power play against a single opponent like travis didn't have any explanation for it he said i'm not going to question it i'm just glad that it was going that way but three on home ice back in november five in nashville and two for two to start this game against the Preds. Like, it's just it's nuts. So one of my favorite moments in the game was when <laughs> Justin, not Josh, everyone wants to call him Josh Bailey. I've heard it eight times today. Justin Bailey drew a penalty in the first period. And the crowd, very appreciative of Justin Bailey, apparently. Big fans. Chanted, Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. And I thought, wow, that's so odd. Shortly thereafter, the Canucks converted on their first power play opportunity of the night to be to be at nine for ten on the power play against the Nashville Predators, which is you know something like Steve Nash's career free throw rate, right? Like that automatic. And it occurred to me in that moment, ah, that's why Justin Bailey's name was being chanted on this night against this team. For some reason, actually drawing the penalty is is the event worth celebrating. Right, and they cashed in there, and then a little later in the hockey game, they got it again. Unfortunately for them, there were two late power plays that went unconverted that actually dropped the percentage on the season to a pedestrian 10 for 13. <laughs> it's just, it's stupid. Uh, this win over the Predators, though, you know, this took me back to the meat of that 14-3 and three stretch where, you know, there were a handful of boxes that they checked off on their sort of, you know, path to success. The spread scoring, check. Power play, check. And yet again, even in a game in which they pull away from their opponent, Jacob Markstrom was ridiculous for a stretch there in the second period. 
It, it occurs to me that if you swapped goaltenders between Nashville and Vancouver, that Nashville would probably be in the running with St. Louis for the Central Division lead. I mean, I, I, I know that Nashville wasn't on their game tonight. Obviously, they benched three of their biggest name forwards and Philip Forsberg, Kyle Turris, and Matt Deshane late in the game. A pretty significant message being sent there by John Hines. But nonetheless, this team's way too talented to be where they are. And the reason, as far as I'm concerned, is goaltending. And, and I thought that showed, you know, on Monday night at Rogers Arena, I thought the Predators couldn't buy a save to save their life. And, and Vancouver's goaltenders, you know, the idea that, and Travis echoed it, and Markstrom echoed it, that the game on Saturday against Calgary was an off night for Jacob Markstrom. I mean, he made a lot of five-alarm saves in that game. I, I completely reject the idea that Markstrom wasn't actually very good against Calgary. Uh, you know, I know he had probably two he'd like back, but man, he made a ton of saves against Calgary. And he's done that every night this year, and that's sort of the benchmark. I, I think the concerning thing and as you talked about you know hitting that checklist right one of them is surrender 38 shots against right one of them is have a period in which you are completely caved in and the Canucks had that in the second period you know the the benchmark that like the level of performance they seem to need Markstrom to hit night in night out you know does concern me whether or not it's sustainable although again I, I do think on a night like tonight where the building sold out it's going to be sold out again Wednesday it's going to be sold out again on Sunday you know, the Twins spoke at length this morning. They've done such an amazing thing, I think, by having, by opting. I just think it's the most sedine thing ever to opt to share their Jersey retirement night with like 15 teammates, right? That's just the most sedine thing ever. I think it's so appropriate. I just think it speaks to their humility. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be a pretty special week, I think, for this franchise and, and in this city and, you know, you can tell, especially after a game like tonight, that there's a, a little bit more buzz around this this metropolis at the moment, especially where this team and, and these events are concerned. And we'll get to a few of the events earlier in the day. You talked about the availability for both Daniel and Henrik. We had a chance to talk to them. Obviously, Trevor Linding returning to this building for the first time in 18 months was uh, something that everybody was kind of waiting to see and read his body language and hear what he had to say. And he said a few things, and we'll come back to that in a sec. But I don't think we can let this slide. That uh, And he's had a ton of just amazing games as he continues to blow the doors off this city and this league, but I thought this one was up there for Quinn Hughes because I didn't think he was particularly sharp on Saturday against Calgary, and Travis Green kind of pointed to the fact that, you know, some of his young guys maybe were overwhelmed by the game, and, and I think without naming names, which was a smart thing, he wasn't calling anybody out, but, you know, I think he was talking about guys like Patterson and Hughes. Uh, I just thought Quinn Hughes, again, had it in video game mode, uh, the spin, the and look, we've seen him do it so many times. This is nothing new. But I thought he was particularly effective uh, just in creating space with, you know, the edge work that he, he's become known for. You know, picks up three more assists. Uh, he's tied for fourth in defenseman scoring in the National Hockey League. There are three defensemen in the NHL. John Carlson, Roman Yossi, and Victor Hedman are the only defensemen in the NHL that are ahead of this 20-year-old guy that's half a season into his NHL career when it comes to generating points. And is playing matchup minutes. And I come back to that play he had very early in the game 
where he was high on the forward in the defensive zone, checked him, beat him to the puck, and made this insane half-spinning pass to, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Miller too, yeah. And, you know, it didn't result in the goal, but it was just ridiculous. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't mean to relate everything back to the Sedins, but obviously they're on my mind this week. And, you know, I was thinking a little bit about how the Twins essentially rose to prominence at the same time that YouTube did and how their game lent itself so well because hockey highlights can often be 20 seconds, right? But Twins hockey highlights would be two and a half minutes, 90 seconds. And I remember that Canucks HD account, right, that sort of sprung up and I think was affiliated with the organization and how much I leaned on that to sort of follow the team you know, in those sort of years when the Sidians were at their peak. And when Hughes has, he had that play and he had one play down low where he took two or three different Nashville defenders sort of for a ride and he, his hips were moving in like eight directions all at once. And, you know, he generated a chance right at the net front, you know, where, <clears throat> look, it's not Sedin level yet. It, it's going to take him a bit. He, He's probably not going to hit his prime for three more years, which is crazy to think of. But there are moments like that where I think there's something there that's going to, you know, be something we talk about in a, in a different way. Talk about not in the vein of, wow, did you see that? But, wow, weren't we fortunate to witness that? And, you know, that's sort of the level that, that Hughes is already starting to hit, but that I think he'll hit in the years to come. All right, let's get into the off-ice portion of the day uh, because the Twins were trotted out. It was billed as coffee with Daniel and Henrik, and we know that coffee was a big part of you know, who they are and what they were off the ice, and so it seemed fitting to kick off Sedin Week that we'd all have coffee with Sedins, and they didn't disappoint. Sure enough, as they showed up, they had their coffee cups in hand. These dudes are so lean right now. Like, you know, they rolled in here a day after running the half marathon. Again, not a surprise to anybody because this is what they've now taken up after hockey is running. And they're putting up ridiculous numbers and times in the races that they run. And we all hear about how competitive they are. But, like, we always heard those stories, too, about how they just crushed the fitness test year after year. Even late in their career, they were still the guys that set the bar super high for the organization. And, you know, they needed different body types to compete in the National Hockey League. But I was just blown away by, like, how lean they are now. Like, they just look like they could run for days. And they probably could. They definitely could. So, and uh, is it true they had the same time in the half marathon? Well, that was suggested. And then somebody said, oh, Daniel finished a second ahead. And Henrik disputed that. He claimed that <laughs> he claimed Henrik started a – or that Daniel started a step in front and the, the chip reader – read Daniel on his first step. Like Henrik had a perfect explanation for why Daniel finished a second ahead. Well, you know, I will say I didn't I don't know that I understood how competitive they were with one another when I was covering them, you know, three, four years ago. I, I don't think I understood that as a core trait. But it's really something that every teammate of theirs that I talked to over the past week brought up immediately. Like as a core thing about them is they hated to lose to one another and they hated to lose to one another at everything. And they made fun of each other. for if, if they were, you know, by all accounts, Henrik is a better ping pong player, right? And 
the reason Henrik is a better ping pong player is he takes a step back from the table and, and saves shots and plays defensively, right? And Daniel was going on. I asked him about it just briefly today, just hoping, you know, well, I'll throw a note in the armies about it. Daniel went on probably the longest answer I got out of him, like two and a half minutes talking about how boring Henrik's ping pong game is. And it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing. I just didn't, I don't think I had understood that until this week, that that was such a key thing about them. Yeah, and, and the stories are legendary from uh, golf to tennis to, as you said, ping pong. Now it's moved into running as well. And you have to think about it. Like, look, these guys have been together since birth. Like, they had other brothers. You know, like, I've got identical twin older brothers, so I sort of feel like I've got a pretty good feeling for this dynamic. I'm not a twin, but my older brothers are identical twins. So, you know, I kind of watched that and they were competitive and they battled and fought and so like you know as much as they talk about being best friends i mean they've spent every, essentially every second of their lives together and so you can understand why there's just that you know it's the sibling rivalry sibling rivalry to the nth degree and so, yeah, I'm not shocked. I mean, uh, it's been funny to hear some of these stories. And I need you to tell me the stumbling into Michael Samuelson's on, Michael Samuelson on the street story. Yeah, so he, I was walking to Nelson the Seagull, where I like to work occasionally, you know, on busy days when I'm not even going home. I'm just going to a coffee shop, and I'm going to grind out five hours of work before coming back to the rink. Uh, I walked to Nelson the Seagull. So I'm walking down and... I guess coming to Will Call to pick up his tickets to the Flames game, obviously he was here tonight doing the siren, was Michael Samuelson. And I just, I just slacked my editor to say, man, I've really got almost every city in line made except Anson Carter and Mikhail Samuelson. And I, you know, I, it was on my mind, like, there's so many Swedes there. I can ask Uffe, I can ask Jonathan Lindquist. Like, there's literally a Swedish contingent. They did Jacob Markstrom in Swedish first tonight, right? Almost like Montreal. Um, you know, I don't know how you say first in Swedish, but Svenska, like, you know, I, I really want Ben or Steph, like, I want a Canucks PR staffer to say Swedish first at some point in Swedish uh, to begin a scrum. Uh, so I'm walking down the street and he, he just walks by me and I just stopped him. I just said, and, and you know, I'm not a radio guy like you. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, but I don't. So I thought it was Mikhail. Right. So I said, Mikhail, and I just sort of started like that. And he looked at me and went, Michael, <laughs> Michael Samuelson. Right. And, you know, the moment then, then I knew I sort of had him and I was just like, look, I've talked to and I sort of listed five of his former teammates. And I was like, and I've heard some stories about two touch and his eyes lit up. And I was like, can I get this on the record? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he unloaded on how good Pavel Datsuk was at Sorball, how Kevin BX is the biggest cheat he ever played with. Uh, it was great. I mean, you know, Mikhail Samuelson or Michael Samuelson. <laughs> Michael Samuelson is the most underrated Sedin line mate in their careers, in my opinion, because he could do the net front stuff. He had this foul temper when he was on the ice. And more than anything, he shot from everywhere. So he combined sort of the best of verbata, the best of... You know, that Zach Cassian type. They never really had a guy who was consistent, who could play with them in that spot. But I think Samuelson was the closest, um, you know, and he had the skill level to make plays with them and play the point on the power play, be that right-handed shot. He combined, like, the best of two or three Sedin line mates for me. 
I'd pick him over Anson Carter. I'd pick him over Jason King. I'd pick him over everyone who's not Alex Burrows, uh, Michael Samuelson. Hilarious to bump into him. Lit- literally, that's the funniest interview I've ever done. Well, yeah, like, was there a holy shit? Like, that's Michael Samuelson moment. <laughs> Absolutely. But it was also just so fast. You know, like, it, I just sort of looked up and, and I was just like, Mikhail? And he's like, Michael. Uh, okay. And we started. That was it. Like, it, honestly, it was just so fast that I barely had time to process it. So we talked to the twins this morning. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about uh, the reaction that Ryan Kessler is going to get or should get. And Ryan Kessler is a teammate. And, you know, there were questions about Trevor Linden coming back into the building and lots of questions about the treatment that Elias Pettersson is getting now because that's kind of been the topic du jour uh, for the last bunch of days here in the city. And who better to talk to than those two guys who could write a book on playing through everything that uh, PD is sort of getting a taste of right here, right now. So I thought the Twins, you know, as always, I mean, it was casual, but they covered a ton of ground, a lot of topics. And, you know, again, they don't, they're not looking to make headlines, but you listen when they speak. They got things to say. They're elder statesmen now, right? And so two real quick things that I just want to point out, quotes that I found funny today. One was Travis saying of Pedersen he was hurt in that Calgary game, uh, which I thought was, you know, very interesting. You know, he felt better today. Um, you know, I, I read a lot into that personally, and I, and I think you can. I mean, I think he gave us that to read into. Well, look, when Backlund, just it's a shove in the lower back. I mean, it was yeah. totally targeted. Obviously, the Flames knew what they were doing. Absolutely. But in the grand scheme, like, it wasn't much. And Pedersen's reaction in the moment told you that, like, he hit him right on the button. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that was, I think that was an essentially an admission that, you know, what you saw on Saturday maybe wasn't Pedersen at 100% or close to it. Uh, so I read a lot into that. And then the other, my other favorite quote is Daniel Wagner, Wags from Pasatabulis. He's often pointed out in his posts for years, literally for a decade, uh, how the Twins used cross-checks to the back to gain separation from their opponents. And so he asks a question about the Pedersen thing, right, the, the targeting. And then, you know, he asks to sort of build on his pet theory at long last. Did, you, did your back get used to the cross checks? And Daniel looks at him and just says, well, I had back surgery. <laughs> I loved it. I was just like, yes, this is the best. I just love no-nonsense answers like that. Uh, unfortunately, Daniel, unlike Travis Green, didn't then shout out that one's for you, Drancer. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel on Daniel violence, if you will. Uh, let's get to Trevor Linden because that was one of the big stories. And he wasn't here for 90s night and people kind of lost their shit. Some did at the very least. But he was very clear that he would be here for the Sedins. And, and sure enough, he was, along with Marcus Nasland and, and Stan Smeal. And it was great to see them uh, out at center ice for the ceremonial face-off and the reaction and the videos. We in the media had a chance prior to all that. The three of them sat down in the media room. And, you know, I had the first question and just asked Trevor about being back at Rogers Arena. And, you know, he kind of stick-handled and, and gave me the response. You followed up a few questions later, you know, laid out, Obviously, it's been 18 months. We all kind of know the story here. Uh, is it awkward? 
And, you know, he's so skilled in the game of the media that, you know, he gave the clip about how he can sit home on Saturday nights now and be a fan. Like, that's the soundbite that everybody... That was such a money soundbite. I I was actually impressed. You know, I I was impressed. I was just genuinely, like, well handled, well taken. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I mean, that's what I said. I mean, this guy... Hey, part of why he was hired was right. uh, messaging, and we know that it's been an issue before and since he's left, and it had to be a little awkward. But as he oh. said, like, there's lots of people in the organization. You know, he didn't name names. He didn't set fires or anything. But he made it clear that he's still in contact with people in the organization. But he Travis. spun it. Yeah, he mentioned, he, he mentioned, you're right. Repeatedly, and, and then did so again on the Sportsnet broadcast. Uh, and also j- drop Judd Brackett as someone who deserves a lot of credit. Uh, so, you know, Trevor remains a savvy political operator and a very media-savvy person all around. And, and I think one major impression that I have from watching Trevor... I have this theory about a table captain, which I've told you about before. That's At every restaurant you go to, there's one person at the table who essentially is the direct interface with the waiter, right? Yeah, I lived that last week in Boston <laughs> at Neptune's. And, and you were the food dad. And previously, at <laughs> when I sent your meal back in, at uh, Parm. So anyway, the Trevor was the press conference dad, the press conference captain, right? At one point, he gets asked a question about the history of Swedish players in Vancouver, and he gives two polite sentences and then passes it off to Smeal, right? There's another question, he realizes, oh, Marcus hasn't talked in a bit. You know, he, he, he was like the main interface between the two, and he sat in the middle, and he sort of handled it. And he does have this level of messaging discipline that I don't think the organization can deploy now right i mean there's no one else and and granted i don't know that there's a lot around the league who have sort of that level of of skill i mean i think trevor's a pretty special communicator on that level especially where the media is involved and i think you can even see it in who he picks to choose like you know when he missed the opening ceremony for example right he gives the interviews to not the province not the athletic not sportsnet not tsn because if he gave it to one of us we'd all get mad and start texting him right but it's instead Daily Hive, and the business reporter at The Courier, right? Like, he's really smart about how he deploys things, like savvy. And so I thought that was interesting. I also think for all that he claims to be very happy, and and I believe that, right? I thought he looked well. You know, his son was in the back of the press conference room, um, you know, making noise and being a cute two-year-old, and that was adorable. For all that, he just read to me like a guy who misses talking hockey. Right, who misses the fight a little bit, and uh, I think that was my overall impression. Back though to Lyndon gives that answer, and Stan Smeal from the top ropes comes in, and clearly had been thinking about it. Right, you know, look, I grew up, I didn't see Stan Smeal play. He was retired before I was watching hockey with any sort of sent- sentience, and but my dad, I remember my dad always telling me that Stan Smeal was a guy with grit, played an honest game you couldn't help but root for him because of his character. That was sort of what I grew up knowing about Stan Smeal uh, in in my mind's eye. And I never really understood that until today. You know, Stan Smeal has been around through enough regimes that he knows where the bodies are buried, right? Clearly has a deep regard for this organization. And there was no benefit to him to interject, no question asked, 
followed up on Lyndon's answer and said, there's something I've been wanting to say and made a passionate case for Trevor having his stamp on the success that this team has had this season. I just thought that was classy, showed character, maybe a bit risky. Uh, I was very impressed. Yes, we don't know if he was uh, summoned to ownership's office <laughs> after that. Uh, and Marcus Naslund, and I, look, I had the utmost respect for him as a player. I loved his candor uh, as the captain. You know, we always talk in more modern terms about going to Henrik after every game, and now it's Bo Horvat. You know, Marcus was the captain at the time that, you know, the 24-hour news cycle came into effect and that coverage of this team kind of went up a notch. And obviously, the West Coast Express era, there was some real interest, and he was uh, right in the center of it. But it was funny because as an interview back in his playing days, he was honest to a fault with the we choke thing that he, you know, uh, but he was never a long quote. I don't know if he was making up for lost time at the microphone uh, when we had at him, uh, but, you know, it was fascinating to hear him and, and just to have a chance to talk to him all these years later. And I was glad, like, the thing was running a little late and I knew that the program was all timed out and these guys had to be out, you know, for the face-off. And, and so I was kind of watching Chris Brumwell from the Canucks PR department because I had one last question that I wanted to get to Marcus Naslund. And that, that was, was about... Good question. And it was about Todd Bertuzzi. And we know that Marcus follows from afar and still is tied to this organization. We also know how closely linked he is and, and always will be to Todd Bertuzzi and Steve Moore and everything that went on. And so I just wanted to know if he had had the opportunity to see the response that Todd Bertuzzi received when he skated out here in that home opener and the place went nuts. And it really did seem like a full circle kind of moment. And and he said, yeah, he, he hadn't seen it live, but he had seen video of it after the fact. Uh, got goosebumps, I think was what he said. And then, you know, he had quite a passionate defense of Todd Bertuzzi, the player, the person, misunderstood. Uh, it was really interesting to hear him all these years later, you know, trying to build this case, even though I think the case has already been built with uh, the response and the reaction that Bertuzzi got, not only opening night, but all the stories when he came back uh, to play in that uh, autism fundraising tournament last mm -hmm. month as well, uh, by all accounts, was the star of the show and the rock star, and you know people couldn't get enough of him, and, and apparently he had all the time in the world for everybody. So it does seem like you know there's been the image makeover and some fences mended and all that kind of stuff but it was just to me it was fascinating to hear marcus in his own words kind of walk us through all of that that was a great question the thing i think that surprises me and maybe it shouldn't but surprises me about the west coast express era is you know i thought it was a nice moment when the crowd cheered roared for Lyndon's return but Naslin's reception was larger and not by a little bit right like Nasland in this city and maybe it's because we don't see him that much or maybe it's because I don't I don't know maybe it's because I whatsapp him all the time like I don't know what it is or what I may what I maybe have failed to calculate about Nasland. but for Canucks fans I think born at, at, in like 92 and later Naslin's everything Right. And, you know, he's the biggest deal along with Bertuzzi, that West Coast Express era team. And I think there's a lot that goes into it. But I think, 
you know, those Nashville players, for example, being Swedish and BC kids for the large part, like Naslin mattered to them. Naslin meant a lot to them. I think that team played exciting hockey at a time when not a lot of teams did. I think they, you know, caught the public consciousness at a moment of a moment in time. I think because of 2010-11 happening, like that same decade, maybe it's overshadowed, but those teams were great. And Naslin and Bertuzzi were top, top players in this league. And I, I guess I was just surprised that of the three men, gentlemen in the building tonight, Naslin was the biggest star. And I wonder if Bure had been here, if that wouldn't still have been the case. Maybe not, but I think it might've been closer than like, I would have discarded that notion if you'd, pitched it to me five hours ago. Now, I actually think there's a chance. Also, I loved Pavel Bure coming to us live from an undisclosed location. And uh, in his cryptic fashion, leaves us with this line, I will see you soon. <laughs> no chance. Come on. Look, Bure is great. First of all, first of all, I talked to him last week, right? He, he did call me. And, uh, you know, Pavel, are, are you going to come? Like, da-da-da. And he goes, uh, no, but I've hired a video team. I've hired a production team. I'm sending video for the fans. He says, don't report that. But I'm, I'm – and then I said, well, you know, why can't you make it? And he, he non-answered me. And then uh, he gave me a quote on how he has great respect for the Sedins and they're some of the all-time greats. That'll run in the armies. But, look, I actually think ultimately Beret's absence – did not overshadow the ceremony at all. I thought the video, Pavel got full value for the video team that he paid for to record that. Uh, you know, backdrop was well selected, uh, had his black skate jersey in the background, and uh, and good fun for, for Pavel. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think it worked. And the last thing is, I think, those new banners, which we are looking at now as we record. I mean, it makes so much sense. This is better than them all being the same color by a lot these look these look sharp um you know and they tie in well with the colorful history theme of the of the anniversary i mean just another event that i think the canucks especially when you consider the length of the day how much availability there was how many thorny issues there were to navigate delicately i mean you know hats off to all of the people who put it together i thought this ran smoothly and and certainly for all involved looked to be a, a good night out in the city of Vancouver. Yeah, and on the new banners that uh, hang, uh, you know, I think they'll look even better once 22 and 33 are up there in the modern colors mm -hmm. because you've got Smeal in the, you know, primarily yellow, and then you had Beret and Linden in white, and Naslin in the dark blue. Uh, and now all of a sudden, or at least on Wednesday, you know, 22 and 33 will go up blue and green and it'll as you said i mean it just speaks to this whole uh marketing campaign that has uh, been there for the entire year and so uh really looking forward to wednesday it's going to be a ton of fun uh it's gonna be fun to see all these guys that you know we've talked about and you have talked to and have heard on the radio uh to see them to catch up with them and who knows i mean they're very well maybe a surprise or two in the mix as well uh, we'll what, see what about. What do you know? What do you I, know? I, I don't know. Spill the beans. I don't. I don't know it. But I just think that guys are making the effort to get here, and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know who's you know on the official invite. I don't know who's going to be on the floor or on the ice. Um, My, I had this fun moment on Canucks Reddit, the R Canucks page, and someone was had posted just asking who was coming, right? 
Uh, and, you know, I made a joke that, you know, these people are the people I've confirmed and, and sort of moved on. And someone was like, is Yannick Hansen coming from Europe? And they happened to drop this comment moments after I'd hung up the phone with Yannick Hansen, who I'd never spoken to on the phone prior to that interview. And so I, I respond, he'll be there, but he's coming from North Van, not Europe, right? <laughs> and this person follows up with, um, how I should have known that you always know where Yannick Hansen is located. <laughs> and I had a good laugh. So to that particular R Canucks Redditor, kudos. I really enjoyed that joke. All right, so the Canucks beat the Predators. They start Sedin week off on the right foot. Tuesday, full team day off, which will allow Travis Green to sit back and listen to this latest edition of the VanCast, <laughs> and we may get a review uh, when this team is back on the ice on Wednesday. Sounds good. I want more uh, grinding of batch. I think I think we can all agree, more grinding of batch. By the way, we went through this whole podcast. We didn't even touch on Kessler. We'll get to that uh, after the game on Wednesday where we can react to his reception. You can also go to The Athletic and read the column that I've written in which Kessler discusses, you know, being a 35-year-old who didn't win a cup, already has a hip replacement, and has considered some of the choices that he made and, and regrets them, is sorry, wish he could have a do-over. Uh, I'm really curious to see how he's received in Vancouver. Hopefully, you know, from my perspective anyway, I envy the man who's never made a mistake or dealt with a stressful situation in a way they might want to have back uh, on Sedine week anyway. I hope it's a warm reception, and I think if it is, it'll be a pretty emotional moment. Just before we go, don't forget to, to rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. For Grant's Rich, Jay Pat, as always, thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.